I'm David Tronzo. And I'm Katie Graves. And this is Coffee Talk. Hello and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian and we're back at it with another season of Coffee Talk for you. This week, the chairs Kim Perlack and Cheryl Bailey are joined again by Professor David Tronzo, along with a current student in the guitar department, Katie Graves. Katie and Professor Tronzo talk about the practice regimen they developed for Katie to work on every day in order to give her an unshakable foundation that allows her to be prepared in many challenging musical scenarios. As always, a lot of this content will also be available on YouTube, and we also have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with David Tronzo and Katie Graves. Welcome, everyone. We're glad to be here in a new year of Coffee Talk. My name is Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department at Berkeley College of Music. And we're here as usual with Cheryl Bailey, our assistant chair. Hey, Cheryl. Hey, everybody. I'm have a little, I don't have coffee, I have water, but you know, gotta coffee change. Cheers. This is a, one of our first evening recordings. So I have a little uh, hot chocolate from the department. Girls hydrating. Um, we have two special guests to kick off our year together for a great conversation. We have Professor David Tronzo. Hi, David. Hello, everybody. Hi, Kim. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Katie. And we have Katie Graves, who is a student at Berkeley College of Music and who is one of our most beloved student employees and also the lead student on our Film Score Guitar Collaborative recording session. So, hey, Katie. Yeah, hi. Hi, Kim. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, David. I'm drinking a hot chocolate. It's mostly gone now, but yeah. Yes, We've had a lot of beverage options come into the office as we've now returned to campus. I think that shows that we're back, you know. Um, and so um, one of the things that we really wanted to talk about and the reason why we got together as we came back from the new year um, is what it really means to know your instrument, what it really means to be prepared. What it really means to go from like feeling like, okay, I'm a student in school to I'm a lifelong student and a colleague with my teachers and people who I'm playing with or listening to on records. What does that process look like? And what's been so cool is coming back from Christmas break, Katie, you have gone through this incredible transformation this semester, but also going back really to the last four months or so that you can see in real time where you took this trajectory through your practicing, the way you worked on your instrument, the way you prepared for things. And then you were in a professional situation that we helped procure that turned out to be way more challenging on all kinds of levels, especially personally. And then your skill set did what it was supposed to do, what you hope it does. It kicked right in and you just ascended and so i think it's been a transformation we've all seen and that we hope for a lot of people but very rarely do you get to watch and so what we wanted to do is have you talk about that with your teacher who is with you on that um who's david and um just kind of have a hang after you all lay out what happened and 
and have Cheryl and I kind of ask some questions that are on our minds and just see if we can talk about something that we all deal with and that we all work towards dealing with. Um, Cheryl, before they dive in, do you have something you want to say in the intro? Well, um, I mean, these are conversations that we're always having, right, amongst ourselves or in the office at the department about practicing and preparing. And sometimes any one of us will be working on a piece of music and just discussing what is that process so that when you get to the performance, you can play the music and not be practicing or thinking about what you're practicing or so you can go into those deep layers of performance and so i mean i'm always fascinated by this topic and and curious whether they're students or professionals or you know wherever people are in their um playing and career like yeah how do you how do you prepare for things how do you feel prepared so i'm looking forward to to uh what we come up with today yeah, and there's that other component too that we always talk about. You know, nobody wants to talk about what happens when someone arrives at your performance and makes it challenging and makes it difficult and maybe tries to throw you off your game for whatever personal reason that is for them, whether it's politics or power trips or whatever. How do you handle that in the moment? How do you handle that after the moment? And so, um, I think this is just a great opportunity to hand it over to you, David, and and uh, lay it out for us. Tell us uh, yeah. what happened. Thank you all very much. It's great to be here with you all, and um, uh, it's a pleasure to sit here with Katie. I wanted to do this with you, Katie, because um, I just thought it would be a great opportunity for any students that are going to watch this, or for anyone who's going to watch this, to hear from your experience, you know, the, the details, but I've prepared, you know, kind of some questions to ask you, which are not designed to hem you in. So wherever we go, we go. It's fine. Um, but I'm fascinated by this process because I witnessed a big change in you and you kept us in the loop and you stopped me a couple times and, and really we had some great conversations. So by the way, congratulations on all that. So just for people who are watching, uh, Katie uh, took a class called Spontaneous Composition, um, which Kim and I teach. It's a class that evolved, a curriculum that evolved from an improvisation curriculum that I was working on for a number of years. Uh, trying to like sort of give anyone who wants to, you know, pull together all of the components like in a, in a clear way. Uh, and so I bring that up because in that class, or pretty much anyone that I work with, I have this four, uh, sort of four aspects that we look at all at the same time. We're working with these four things. And they're data, techniques, strategies, and leadership. And the data is all the information as it goes on the guitar. And the techniques are all of the techniques we need to execute. And the strategies are how they apply to the music. And then the leadership we'll talk about later. So I just want to lead by this question. And whatever the answer is, the answer is. Did any of those ideas or areas or anything we talked about in the class while we looked at those areas um, help you uh, make a change in your playing? And if so, can you 
describe how that happened. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was the data because I spent a lot of time when I was younger, you know, practicing and playing things that I knew how to play, but I didn't really take account into account, you know, what I could do. I could do a certain thing in a certain song, but if I was looking at a new thing and they were like, you know, play this tremolo, I couldn't do it because I didn't have my my inventory together. So I think that was really useful. And also um, techniques working on that, like saying, oh, I really can't, you know, do this harp scale or, you know, figure that out. So that that's was great. So um, can you kind of talk about not only what you used to practice and a little bit how you used to practice and how that changed? What changed about both the what you used to practice and the how? Yeah, so I, um, when I was younger, I used to just um, sit and play what I like to play, which is stuff I was good at, which is stuff I could, you know, whip out and just be like, look at me, woo! and they'd be like, man, you're the best. And it's like, I am the best. And I spent a lot of time just doing, you know, being the best in my own room. And then, you yeah. know, I kind of got here and I was like, oh, there's a lot of, I don't know what I'm doing. And so um, now what's happened is a lot of it is, taking into account, you know, what I have, what I'm good at and saying, okay, we're good at this. And, you know, maybe if I've had a rough day of hitting my head against the wall, I can do the things I'm good at. But now a lot of it is, okay, what, what do I need to get better at? What, you know, what's weaker, what, what is not proficient and, you know, making that proficient. And I keep a, I keep a journal with me and I write yeah. in it um, every day, you know, there's some crazy stuff in here, but I go through about four or five a year and I, you know, anything I take, I'm, I'm taking effortless mastery right now with Kenny and, and I'm just a lot of there, a lot of that stuff is about him. But when I was in spontaneous composition, there were like four or five pages, you know, a day when we would, when we would go into class where I'd just be like, try this, try this. And, you know, yeah. And I'll put now when I warm up, I do 10 minutes um, of a harp scale and this week it's an A and I do 10 minutes of dyads because I do um, minor seconds, the half step, and I stretch really far, and I find if I can breathe, and I can stretch the rest of the day as a breeze. If, <laughs> if I can do that first thing in the morning, the rest of the day, nothing can shake me, you know? So that's that's kind of where I'm at. That's great. So um, I have a couple questions that just came up, but uh, one of them is that um, when you came here, you know, you had been the best in your room and in, everyone in my was, room yeah i was also the yeah, only one in but i mean that's we all did this we all did this so when you came here and you got the shock um can you talk just a little bit about you know what how that must have been challenging to process but you converted it into a very positive motivational uh perspective rather than uh feeling bad so um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, so I, I, like we talked about, I was the greatest in my room. I got here. I remember I met a couple people at like the first thing, and they're like, "Yeah, man, we're gonna we're gonna have a jam session, man. We're gonna go meet me at you know this this place, this place." And I was like, "Okay." I put it in the maps because I didn't know where anything was, and I showed up, and I was like, "Cool, we're gonna do this." And I thought it was just gonna be like you know high school jazz band. You show up, nobody wants to take a solo, and so I sit there with my you know I'm noodling, and everyone's like, "Whoa, she's great," but it's just because I could you know make noise when asked to make noise, you know, so. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, that's all it that's that's all it was. So I show up and I'm like, and they call a tune and I'm I, I think it was Misty and I didn't even know that song and I was like, oh yeah, I don't know that one. And then and then I listened to a couple people do it and I was like, I was like, yeah, I'll sit, I'll sit this one out and then I sat the rest of the night out and just went <laughs> home and was like. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I was like, I, I'm, wow, I'm terrible. You know, the, the things everyone says when they go somewhere where you're getting challenged and, you know, when you have to step up and I like, you know, the first couple semesters here, I was just kind of like, oh yeah. And I pushed myself and I wasn't really focusing. I was just trying to do too much at once. And I was like, here are all the things I'm terrible at. Let's do a million things a day with no focus. And then some days I would skip and some days I, you know, would just forget to do it. And then I think what happened was I took that class and I remember, David, you said to me, you go, you need to have a method. I said, I do have a method. I practice every day. So that's not a method. That's, that's, that's a routine. You don't, you don't have a, you, you don't have that figured out. And I was like, oh, you know, I went home and I was like, I got it figured out. I didn't have it figured out. And so I, I went and um, wrote down something and I was like, you know, I remember Kim and David, you both were like, try it for a month do it every day. You know, I don't care if you, if you feel sick, if you don't feel like doing it, just, just do it every day. It's like 30 minutes. It was three separate things, 10 minutes each thing. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. You know, what do I have to lose? And so I put the time into doing that. And then I just got addicted to, you know, the structure and, you know, just, just doing something no matter what is really, really good for a foundation. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. The structure is critical. So what were the three things? Do you remember what the three things were that you that we asked you to do in the 30 minutes? I mean, we're like mode crazy, you know, and yeah. triad crazy and arpeggio crazy. So like we consider all that to be super fundamentals. Was that involved in any way? No, I did 10, I have it from my December month. I'm pulling it up right now. I did 10 minutes dyads and I picked a different key every day. And then I did, so it was only 20 minutes. I did 10 minutes dyads, that day it was E flat. And then I did 10 minutes 16th notes in Ionian, E flat. Right, but if you're doing dyads and you're doing 16th notes, you're doing, you're using modes to work all that out. Yeah, yeah. The modes are the map, right? They're the, they're the, they're the map of the fretboard, basically, that allows you to decode a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's why we're that's why we're mode crazy. Because we feel like that's uh, once you have that, you can deviate all kinds of ways. You know, I mean, you can even change the fingerings. One thing of also you remember that we're real sticklers for is to have a very consistent fingering because the brain memorizes not the pattern, but actually the finger assignments, right? Did you find yourself doing that? Yeah, I think, yeah, I I tried to get like a universal one down because I think sometimes I switch between on my left hand going like one or one when I'm doing, you know, especially whole steps, like whole, 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 I like go like that or that. So I tried to really just kind of look ahead and not stare at my hand and think okay if it feels good it is good and if it sounds it'll sound better once we get more you know relaxed so i i did try to add more of that uniform stuff across the neck because then it really just starts to open up it really does it's great um kim or cheryl do you have anything you want to jump in on here yeah i do because so katie did the routine often in the office so 
would come in. So the students who work in the office often come in earlier, stay late and use the office like a practice room. So there are a lot of mornings when I came in and you were doing your practice routine. And there was one day where your tone was so big and so fat and round that I honestly thought you had plugged in. And I came out of my office and I was like, what guitar are you playing? And then I just saw that you had learned to really breathe and work on your tone, which was the other component of what we talked about so much in the class was it's your data, but the way your data and technique come together when you look at like the parameters of sound and how you play dynamics and envelope and timbre and breathe through your technical approach really changes your tone. And, and I'm wondering if you could talk about that because it was so dramatic that I literally came out of my office when I heard you. Yeah, I, um, well, the first thing was in class, it was, I remember you guys said, just, just practice your dyads. And so I play fingerstyle. So I was like, okay, six and thirds, those are my dyads. There's nothing else. And then <laughs> I, um, <laughs> and I remember we, we showed up to class, me and about, um, I think there were four or five of us. We all showed up and we had done exactly the same thing. I remember you both were like, okay, now do something else. And, and I was like, what do you mean? This is all, this is all I need. This is, this is what I got. And then I remember, um, being told, you know, try, try seconds. And I tried to do it and I was like forcing this terrible, you know, it just hurt and I felt it flare up right there. And I was like, this is disgusting. And then you guys were like, no, it's not, it's not disgusting. You just, you just don't know how to do it. And I was like, you're right. I don't know how to do it. And a, a lot of the times I think as a student, um, especially here, we'll, we'll just push back on anything new or anything that sounds out and just be like, that's gross. That's terrible. And it really blew my mind to think these things don't have emotional qualities. They make us feel things, but what they are is they're just data. They're just data. They're just data. So I had to grow up and just, you know, play the, <laughs> play the, you know, minor seconds. And I thought, you know, this is the hardest thing I do. Um, why not, you know, make an exercise out of it? Because I had a really hard time before this class, like stretching across the neck. I really avoided the low three strings. Yes. I had this, you know, injury. And so I started doing dyads in the morning and I started on the low E and the A and I would sit and like B flat, you know, and it's got that nasty, not nasty, but it's just, if you don't know how to do it, it's just hard. Yeah. So I would sit with it and I would go like that. And I remember I came in the next week and I was going da, 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 da. And Kim was like, no, you're not, you're cutting it off. Why are you cutting it off? And so then the next week, the challenge was, okay, I'm there. Now I have to sit with it and be okay with it. And so, you know, getting there, taking a breath, playing it, being okay with it really, you know, opened everything up because I wanted it to be this, you know, quantized, dun, 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 you know, but it, the guitar didn't want that. The sound, you know, didn't want that. Yeah. Right. Well, it's an interesting thing. We talk about it all the time, you know, in lessons and classes, which is that learning to hear how you actually sound like a kind of a witness part of your consciousness is actually perceiving like how you're actually playing, you know, is a is a is a, a challenge to develop. Um, because a lot of times I think the idea of how we sound in our that we're trying to sound in our minds overrides what we're actually doing. And the first place we notice that is with things like durations of notes, dynamics. So dyads are interesting, chords the same story. 
if you play the voices all evenly dynamically, the dyad is heard properly or the chord is heard properly. If the voices aren't dynamically equal, you're actually kind of corrupting the information. And, you know, I, I watch some people play four note chord voicings, but they're only actually sounding two of the notes. <laughs> and so therefore, you know, it's not the whatever chord that they think it is. Um, but this is an interesting thing. So you persevered through both discomfort physically and some psychological discomfort. Can you talk a little bit about the intersection of those things and what you did? Did breathing, I'm just gonna throw in a little parentheses, did breathing and relaxation come in there anywhere <laughs> to help? Not intentionally. I think if you go in and you're like, I'm gonna breathe and relax, you just come out more tense and freaked out than like, you know? Cause I always tried to do that after I got injured. I was like, we're gonna breathe. We're gonna be at one with the universe. And I just came out worse like this, you know, it's terrible. <laughs> it doesn't work for me. But I, um, yeah, that, unintentionally, like sitting with it and just playing and just letting it, because, you know, the guitar sits right next to your heart, not to, yeah. you know, but it, it does. And, you know, you feel it everywhere because yeah. it's connected to your whole body. So you're playing right. it and it's Vibrate like, just actually, true. yeah, just actually letting it like fill the space is something that I never did because it was, it's not cool to just let it fill the space. You know, it doesn't. It, it is, but it's not, you know, when you're, when I was younger, it was all about that crazy, you know, no thoughts stuff. Yeah, right, which is not really so feasible, yes? No thoughts. Kim? I wanted to say that I just thought of this as you were talking that so many people think of the things that we do that are expressive with your tone as like, it just comes from the universe or whatever, but, and not that it comes through your hands, right? And through your intention and through your technique. And I think what you've seen is your whole sound opened up and everything you do expressively, like, would you, would you agree with that? Like your dynamic range is bigger, your color palette is bigger, the way you craft your notes, choices that makes you sound expressive. Can you talk about finding the technical component and the physical component and that expressive things? Yeah, I'm finding the technical component. I'm kind of stumped because I didn't, I, the thing is, I didn't think when I was doing it, I wasn't, I, I told myself we're not going to expect anything out of it because I found when I expect something out of a practice or a technique, I just sabotage myself because I'm like, man, it'll be a week later. And I'm like, why can't I do this? Why can't I sound like this person? So I mean, it just, it was almost like accidental because just doing that, you really start to realize, I don't need to press that hard. I just need to breathe. And then you start to realize this right hand doesn't need to do all, it doesn't need to go like that to make a note come out and just like that. Right. And it can be this, it's really liberating to kind of go like, oh, I didn't have to do all that to sound great. And like, you start to sound better when you let go. So if you're listening on the podcast, you didn't see the motion, but she was showing, demonstrating a, a forceful technique as opposed, that was not effective as opposed to the lighter technique, which was way more effective and created more sound, right? right. So, anyway, <laughs> carry yeah, on. Exactly. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's that balance point where you're, um, setting the guitar vibrating you're setting the string vibrating and basically you're not interrupting it 
You know, it's like there's two components. One is to set it vibrating. The other is to not influence it negatively. Uh, but you did breathe, so that breathing snuck in there. So it's not necessary that we focus on it up front, but it is a critical part of the process in there, which is really important because the body responds to that, the relaxation, you, you know, you, you pulled it together. Um, let's see. So um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you was, um, can you talk about as you were doing all this work, which you were really, you know, you were, that's, you were putting in a lot of good focus and, and it's very personal. It's organic learning, basically. Um, did you notice the changes or what were some of the changes in your performance experience whenever you went to play music with people or on the sessions even when you did you did some of the film score cues you know for the Alamo did you notice a change in that setting yeah I mean I noticed that when it came to playing you know those pieces because I would get classical guitar pieces written by people who usually weren't guitarists so there would be some things that were not you know playable there would be like five note chords and like with like weird stretches I keep doing the hand motions but um they, they would have these wild things and a couple you know a couple semesters ago I would have been like oh man I'm the problem I can't play that what's wrong with me and then I was like okay yeah I can't play that but here's what I can play and here's what I'm going to tell you so you can make it better and we're going to write this and we're going to fix this because it's I, I know I can play something I just can't play what you gave me so we're going to play that and like you know and not in a way that's I didn't say it exactly like that I, I wasn't like here's what you're going to do I was just like okay why don't we try you know this and why don't we try that and why don't we okay how about how about this chord and you know I found if you just say how about this chord and you don't tell them what you changed they're like yeah I like that that sounds good um, but with my performance I just found that I don't get as I don't get as like shaken up if somebody's messing with me or if even if I got a good response a couple years ago I would just be like oh I would lose it like if I was playing really well and someone would go woo I'd just lose it yep I hear you so So this is interesting to me Um, another thing that I talk about in the class all the time and um, is this leadership idea right and the qualities of leadership which we were we we ask everybody to help us put the list together of the adjectives that you would associate with good leadership and then of course the students are often surprised when we say that you want to develop these qualities to be able to practice them on yourself which is a challenge yes but you know the qualities include always the list includes things like confident, organized, perseverant, patient. Uh, we encourage them to put loving and compassionate and, you know, and it, the lists are huge, enthusiastic, um, uh, servant oriented, you know, what else, Kim, what else is on the list? I think everyone can think about this list. Think about it for yourself. If you're listening, yes. yeah. what the list is, what are the qualities you want in someone who is a leader that you would work for? What if, what, if you got to design them? Right. So you want patient and kind and organized and responsible and confident, but humorous and someone who has your back. Those kinds of things come up all the time. And then it's amazing how it blows people's minds when you think, well, I would be that way for someone. I'd want that one, that person to be that way for me, but 
when I sit to practice or when I am in the world, am I that way for myself? Exactly. Exactly. And the list can be, you know, constantly amended, but it's a fascinating thing. Like, it sounds to me, and you can tell me about this, Katie, that you are practicing a lot of things that we wrote up on that list. Every class writes up a list. There, There's an enormous amount of, of uh, similar things on the lists. Did you find that you were, even as you look back, you might not have been aware of it, but did you find that that was a helpful idea? Yeah, I think I think it is because you, you really have to take assessment of how you treat yourself when you practice because Absolutely. a couple... Because before I would, you know, when I would practice, I would just be like, I w it was like I was pra teaching a younger student, like maybe six to eight years old, and they just weren't getting it. And I would be like, what's your problem? Like, what's wrong with you? You suck. I would never say that to an actual student, but because it was a little version of me that didn't quite know it, I was like, what's wrong with you? Why isn't this together? And I would like walk out on my own lesson. You know what I mean? And yep. then at a certain point, I was just, now I'm like, okay, no, how would I actually go about this so when we did the dyads I wasn't like oh you're stupid you can't do it. no I was like okay go slower take your time do this do that trust yourself take you know and now when I learn something new it's like I'm in a lesson studio with you know eight ten year old me whatever and and I'm gently walking through and guiding and saying okay you don't get it you'll get it in time take a break you know absolutely we call it uh, becoming a steward of your own learning, you know, of yourself. Um, this is great because you use the word assessment. And I'm always talking to students about the difference between judgment and assessment. Like we have to be able to assess our playing um, basically non-personally, you know, even though it's our playing, right? We have to assess which means like really take a look at, you know, what's working, what's not, why is something not functioning? Uh, what do I, what exercise do I have to develop to get that better? And then um, the, leave the judgment out that the judgment and the assessment are not the same. Um, so there's this idea that, you know, confidence is needed to proceed. And the thing we put forth is that confidence is the byproduct of practicing these other things on the list. Have you found that to be resonant at all or I think when you when you look at yourself and you're kind and you and you hear you're playing and you're kind and you and you can laugh about it, if it doesn't go well, you're not like, I'm worthless, I'll quit, you know, I'm gonna go take up something else. You start to go, Okay, well, you know, you can really talk to yourself like you would talk to a student. And right. that's I think that's been the most useful thing I have because I'm like when I'm performing I'm not the student I'm I'm the teacher I'm gonna show you how to do it but when I'm practicing and when I'm in a class I'm I'm a student and when I'm alone I'm a student because it's it's not about you know being the best it's about learning and yeah. absolutely and it's lifelong learning so the, another interesting uh, part of the philosophy that I try to bring to students is that. Um, uh, I say to them, it gets their attention pretty good. I say, uh, in this 12-tone uh, approach we're taking, there are no avoid notes, there are only avoid people. And I ask them to write that down. <laughs> so just I'm going to ask you, did you, have you found this to be true in the, in the real world situation? <laughs> I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so, yeah. yeah. So, um, have you found yourself in a situation that was kind of challenging with a, with a, a person who was maybe trying to make it more difficult for you to, you know, do what you have to do there, uh, which happens sometimes professionally. And I just wanted to know, like, what was that like for you uh, from a standpoint of your process at keeping your balance and focus? Yeah, I mean, now that I have that, um, you know, I have an idea of, I have a Rolodex of what I can and can't do. And so when I go to something that's like paid or something that's, you know, a gig, I practice, I prepare, so I show up, I know what I'm doing. And, you know, nothing can shake that because I know that I, I know what I've got. And I was there sometimes when I play things, you know, I'll hear like, oh, you can't do that. Like I'll talk about, I can, I think it's four octaves of A on a classical guitar. And I was like, I could do that. And then, you know, somebody looked at me and they were like, no, you can't do that. And I was like, I was kind of taken aback. And normally I'm not like, oh, you know, I'm not going to fight you. But I was like, I wake up with it every morning. I know I can do it. I mean, I sit with it. I've sat with it for a couple months. I'm, I'm by no means a master of it, but I can do it and I'm proficient. And so when somebody tries to like mess with me and I know I'm proficient, it's like, what are you doing? You're talking to a brick wall and then you do it. And then you're like. And, and to clarify, that was in front of a group of people. So you were paid to give a demonstration and you said, I just want to say that, you know, here's the expanse of possibilities. And someone more established and older than you said, that's impossible and tried to embarrass you in front of the group, basically. And then you were able to demonstrate. Yeah, I was, I was just kind of like, what do you mean impossible? It's the first thing I do in the morning. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's just like, it's uh, what? It's, just know. a mid-morning snack. Right, exactly, <laughs> an hors d'oeuvre. But there was a moment where you, you found yourself uh, maybe, you know, set back uh, for whatever reason, right? Those things are often come as a shock. I mean, you know, it's a left field type of, thing coming at us and so processing it in real time is is a bit of a challenge but you did it you process that can you talk about that at all i think so when it happened i think it was about two and a half hours and i think it took me about half an hour into it because i was just i wasn't worried about it i was prepared i knew i knew what i was doing i knew what i was getting into and i was like okay you know i'm gonna do this and then i think I was sitting there, we were talking about something, and then I just had a moment where, like, I zoomed out of the entire building, and it was like I was looking at myself from, like, you know, 50 yards away, and I was like, what? Is this, is this, you know, is this really happening? And then it was like, yeah, it is. And I said, okay, I could, I could hang out 50 yards away where it's safe, and it's, you know, okay, and just kind of hang out above myself for the rest of this, or I could just come back and be like, look, I'm paid to be here, you know, I have a place here, I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm the transaction is happening and I'm just going to stick with that. And that's what I chose to do, which is hard. It's a hard decision to make when you're in that position. Absolutely. That was very courageous. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, because the, the length of the clinic you were giving was two and a half hours. Yeah. And about 20 minutes in, you realize this person is not going to relent. They're going to keep coming at you over and over and over again in front of a group of people, pretty large group of people. And the intention is to try to throw you off. The intention is to come and undermine you. And 
And that's really interesting in that moment that you were able to say, wait, I know what I'm doing. I, and you were able to just let your, you were able to stay yourself, right? And, um, and play through it. Yeah, it was amazing. You and uh, by the way, uh, for those watching, um, we have this collaborative project with the film score department where we have <clears throat> guitar students being the players on sessions for the student composers who are writing for guitar and I believe their second semester midterm. <clears throat> and it's a great opportunity for both nylon string and electric uh, guitarists to have this experience of reading uh, cues. And the cues vary pretty widely wildly. But they also have this thing where they have a seminar at the beginning of the semester for all the like instrument groups. And Katie prepared this amazing seminar with really detailed notes. I mean, literally, this is like a handbook of what's playable and writable and usable on the guitar uh, for people maybe who are coming to compose that don't know the guitar well. It's not their principal instrument. So um, great job with that, by the way. It was fantastic. Um, I'm going to ask a, a challenging question here, um, if I may. Um, after, after you went through that experience, afterward, did you have any processing that you had to do about anything related to that in terms of just how you felt about, I don't know, your, your role or your, how you succeeded? Because I've been through a lot of those. And even when you succeed, it, it can be challenging to sort of give yourself closure on it. Um, if you want to talk about that, I welcome it. It's up to you. Yeah, I, um, I don't think I processed it until the next day. I think I came out. I had work. So I came to the guitar department and I was like, yeah, man, this thing was this thing was a little weird. I mean, I don't know. I think I'm just exaggerating. But and then I remember I talked to Kim and I talked to Kara, who I also work with, who's really great. And um, they were both like, that's terrible. And I was like, no, we were just, you know, we were just hanging out. We were doing this, you know, stuff. And I told more stories and they were like, no, you weren't just you weren't hanging out. And I was like, oh, and I think it took me, you know, it took me it took me a few days just to be like, oh, OK. Because, you know, it's it's not like it was this terrible, you know, catastrophic event, but you do kind of, you do think that couldn't actually, that didn't actually happen. But then you go, oh, okay, yeah. The great thing about the story is that um, whether situations go well or, you know, they're bumpy, it's our skills that actually give us the, the ability to be there in the situation and apply. It's, you know, I'm always saying this to students that, it's not creative ideas and inspiration that um, that basically get you through everything. It's your skills. And if your skills are really solid and reliable, um, you can go into every situation and adapt. And you proved it. It was really just tremendous. Um, anybody else have any thoughts about or comments or questions for Katie? Well, I was thinking about to go back a little bit when Katie was talking about, you know, this process of practicing and then she was criticizing herself and, and, and then saying like, well, I wouldn't even say that to a student, a student. you know, I wouldn't even say that to any, but you say those things to yourself. And, and, you know, and also Chanzo, I, I often hear you say, you know, music theory, it's not a theory. Right? These are quantifiable facts. And I think the thing Katie was talking about there is when she started to get, 
realized it wasn't how she felt about it was when she made the breakthrough and said, Hey, these are things that I need to work on. So the ego is taken out of, there's no ego involved in that. And really being able to look at those places in your musicianship, that's the hardest thing. And, and so, you know, and I know I've been talking to Kim and Katie and all the folks in the office there about, you know, these practice techniques and, and, um, this one guy that I've, that I've been reading a lot, he always says, it shouldn't sound good when you're practicing. If you're, if it sounds good when you're practicing, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. You know, sure. I was thinking like we were talking with a bigger faculty group about, you know, this idea that so many students avoid the proficiency because they feel like it wrecks their confidence. But really what you proved, Katie, is what we are trying to communicate to everyone is that actually practicing the data builds your confidence. Like that's what builds your confidence. It's confidence is it's the same as like what we were talking about with expression and tone. You don't paint it on. It it comes through your skill set. And then I think that also, like knowing that you have a skill set, knowing that you have other people also that are also going through it and practicing it, like having these open conversations really helps because we all end up, we work with other human beings who are not perfect people. And we all end up in situations like you ended up in. And they all feel like they come out of left field, like David said. And it will sit with you. You'll think in the moment, you're like, oh my God, this is happening. Then the next day I think, did that happen? Am I crazy? That didn't happen. And then you'll think, well, maybe there's something that's wrong with me that made that happen. And if you can keep going back, I think, to where your confidence comes from, which is just your daily routine and then your ability to like know yourself and and sit with your peers and your um, and your colleagues and your teachers and sort of talk about it, I think that's what helps you grow and push through and then and then you can work with anybody you want to because you're solid and centered in yourself. And I want, I mean, that's kind of how I have started to think about it and more and more in recent years. And I don't know how that strikes you, Katie, but that's kind of what I've, I've been thinking about. I think it's true that when you start, when you take into account what you do and don't have and, and the data and your techniques and things like that, you really can say, well, what I know, I really know. And what I don't know, I can tell you, I don't know it myself. Like, I'm not going to walk into like, a, you know, crazy, you know, jazz thing and be like, I can do that. No, I'll be the first one to say, I can't do that. I, you know, not that I can't, but that I don't have that skill set yet. And that's not a foundational thing. Cause it's bad to get in the territory where you're like, I can't do that. I can do it. No, you can do that. It's just a matter of time and, you know, um, dedication. And so, but in a situation where I have the dedication and I have put in the time and I have the skill and I can, you know, look in my, you know, record book or whatever and say, this is what I have. Um, that's when you really become uns unshakable, like unstoppable. You're like, no, I, I know I can do it, you know? And so as long as you have that, it's kind of just a matter of making that list bigger and then conquering the world. No, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, that comes later. Um... Yeah, it's about, I mean, I'm always suggesting to people that they replace the words difficult and easy with the words unfamiliar and familiar. 
because everything that you think is difficult, that's sort of rating it as like, maybe it's beyond my capacity forever, you know? Whereas it's unfamiliar, that's just a matter of, you know, so many repetitions and, you know, consistencies of reintroducing the material and coming at it. Um, meaning that demonstrating something is more important than whether you think you know it. Right? Demonstration is sort of the reality of this thing. So just, we try to just, it's really healthy to just kind of have an idea of what you're strong and able, being able to demonstrate. And um, it's very important. The other thing that we often talk about, uh, comes as a shock to many young musicians, is um, I'll ask a group of students, uh, who's your favorite guitar player? And they always name somebody else. And I say, what are you doing? Like, why isn't it you? How, could you, how can you do all this work and your favorite guitar player is not you, right? And, they, they, and sometimes it comes back like, well, that's egotistical. And it's like, okay. <laughs> And, you know, because uh, it's important, right? It's my impression that when you started to really vote for yourself, like you started to say, hey, I'm the guitar player that I have to take care of. That's when you changed your direction and how you went about things. Would that be accurate? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's really important for everybody who's watching this to understand that, you know, it's okay to make yourself your favorite guitar player. It's actually going to set a lot of things in the right direction. Kim? That's why you prepare like you do. Because you care enough about yourself. You don't say like, oh, I'm my favorite guitar player, so I don't have to prepare it. You prepare more. So David's talking about, you know, you made these clinic notes for this project that you're doing with him. Like... Like you made these notes for the product that were like pages and pages long because I think we all did that. Like I'm thinking of like my first teaching days and Cheryl is Cheryl's like a notebook. Cheryl's like a notebook, like a royalty of notebooks. You know what I mean? I think, I mean, you've always got all the notebooks up and you write stuff down and sometimes you just have to write a ton of stuff down so that then when you go and do a paid clinic, anybody can throw you cause you're not there when you're like doing something that's a paid gig, you're not like you got, you don't have your, okay, what's next on my outline. You've just written it down and practiced it so much. And you didn't say that this stuff I'm doing like for school is like not that important. And then I have this gig I'm doing. I never understood when people didn't connect those things. It's like, well, this is training. Like this is like an opportunity to train. And then so, you know, you decided like, here's how I would show people how to do everything I can do. And then you're in a situation where you're paid to show people everything you can do. And you have this like added drama. And then you just say, Oh, wait a minute. I'm just here to show people what I can do. Right. And I think, and you're very able to, to do that. And I think it's, it's, there's no like shame or weakness and really being prepared. And I think people feel that way sometimes. And, and there's such a strength in that, that you demonstrated that I think is cool. And I always like to say that um, it was a shock to me to find this out that in the um, in the uh, US government, even the president gets to cast a vote for themselves. I always thought that was kind of weird, but um, so all you guitar players out there, why don't you cast a vote for yourself? You know what I mean? 
Um, Katie, what would you say to an entering Berkeley student who, you know, is looking at this, you know, has that sudden realization like, wow, there's a lot I don't know about this instrument and things. What would you say to them? I would say, um, well, you know, what do you know? Obviously, you know something. You're here. You got here. So you do know stuff. You might not know all that crazy stuff yet. But like I said, it's a matter of it's a matter of time and, and dedication. And obviously, if you know some stuff, you, you put in the time, you are dedicated. It's just a matter of how far are you willing to go? And that's that's completely 100 percent up to you. And if you listen to, you know, your body and the guitar, you'll, you should be fine. That's excellent. And the um, what we do here at Berkeley is we solve the problem for the students of the what is it, the vessel to do that work in is represented by the proficiency material. And I recommend to students that they take <clears throat> at least one hour and 15 minutes a day and divide the categories of the proficiency material that is on the laundry list for their level into 10 or 15 minute installments. Not everything needs the same amount of time. So categories that are more challenging, you give it a little more time. But no category is getting more than 20 minutes a day. And then you just do this every day. And you change the keys, you know, if somebody's really very familiar with some material and they want to move faster, they can change the key every day. You know, and if if not less familiar, you can change the key every week or whatever, you know. But the 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 what and somewhat the how has already been worked out. Um, I'm sure this would be agreed to by my colleagues here on this coffee talk that that proficiency material represents the systems, the system in total that we use to play this instrument, regardless of style. Not necessarily everything is used in every situation, but there is no other system. There's variations of that system, but that is the system. That data is the data. So um, I don't really have anything else to ask you, Katie, so I'm going to sit back for a moment. I want to ask each one of you the same question. What advice do you have for people who have gone through difficult moments professionally? Like, how do you move on from that and not dwell on things? Whether you felt like you handled it great or you didn't, we've all gone through it. It, it happens to every single person and nobody wants to talk about it. But if you had some advice, maybe Katie, why don't you start What's some advice maybe for yourself or for, for the, all of us who go through that? That's a good question. <laughs> would you like to punt it to someone else and then come back? Yeah, I'd like <laughs> to punt it to whoever would like to receive it. Cheryl, you're up. <laughs> I don't know that it's, that's so hard. I mean, whew, that's a hard one. I mean, I think well, I think you, Katie said, you know, you have to be kind to yourself in the end. And, um, you know, or sometimes maybe if it's something I feel bad about a performance, we'll put it that way. Maybe I don't feel like, you know, um, 
I often see, you know, it, it's already out floating past Pluto right now, you know, like in the, in the light waves, whatever that moment was, it's already out in the universe and it's going away from me. So, I, you know, and I, so here's a new day. What did I learn from that? Maybe, maybe it was some situation where I wasn't prepared or I was a little overconfident or could it be any of these um, things. So if I can put my finger on that and say, okay, no to self, it's a new day. So I don't know, for me, maybe that's how I try to work on it. It's just see it is it's moving on and, and, and take my lessons and keep moving. <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. Um, I, it is hard for me to be so concise about this because I've had a lot of experiences of different types, favorable and, and not favorable. But what I will say is this, the unfavorable ones were extra musical, meaning that music was used as the conflict, uh, you know, device or something, you know. But really what was happening was I was being, um, somebody was trying to manipulate me or put me in a compromising position or, um, you know, it could be about money or it could be, um, it could be um, a power trip. Uh, there was a leader, a very famous band leader I was working for, you know, very well, who one day decided to haze me, kind of haze me, like an initiatory hazing. And it was very, it was very, you know, he was really going, it was like a nature program moment. And um, all, I'm not gonna tell the story, but I'll just say this. I have, I worked out a long time ago an idea of what will allow me to go to sleep at night feeling like my integrity is intact. And that, what that picture is can include walking away from a situation and telling somebody like, nope, sorry chief, you don't get to do that. You don't get to say that. And they go, you're fired. And you go, thanks, I was gonna leave anyways. You know what I mean? Because it was, it's un, some of those are untenable. Sometimes to stand up for yourself, you don't get to slay the dragon. Like you slayed the dragon, Katie, the other day. And sometimes you don't get to do that. But I would go home and as much as it pained me to lose the gig and the, you know, the money and the experience that would come with that and the wonderful things, I didn't sit there and go, oh yeah, I, I screwed this up. I went to bed like and slept like a baby. And I also got up the next day and I didn't hate this person. As a matter of fact, years later, we used to cross paths and I was fine, fine with it. So all I'm saying is, you know, it's really important to have an idea of what are you not gonna give up? Because if you know yourself well enough to know that, then you can measure everything that's coming at you from a healthy place, I think. So that's what I would say. <laughs> Katie, are you just going to wait until <laughs> you want to say? Um, I, I'll go. I, I think that sometimes it helps, too, that you just have to remember everybody's a person. And we have no idea what someone else is going through. And 
And I think holding on to a negative moment, it, it could be a good growth thing for you. You know, like you, I try to remember, well, you know, what was good about what happened. I try not to keep rolling things over in my mind. I try not to think, you know, every time I see a person or I'm in this similar situation, I really check and see like, are the old feelings coming up or, or can I trust like, you know, that I'm confident in myself and, and there I, and that I'm where I want to be and, and make the choices that put me more there. And, um, and that, you know, you, you can decide, like I had a great, uh, a person I worked for for years. He used to tell me all the time, you know, what you do only has to be about who you are. You don't have to just radiate reaction to everybody. You can deal with the situation and then, um, you know, I think what you were saying about being kind to yourself and when the, when that comes up, the insecurity that might come up because of it, you can kind of check and see where that comes from. And like Cheryl said, just kind of like give yourself a little space with it. Um, and if it comes up, you can't beat yourself up because it came up. You know, these things might pop back up and it might be weird. And then you just sort of let yourself breathe through it and, and remind yourself, you know, where you're centered in yourself. It's, it's a hard question. That's why I asked it, because I, I was looking for advice from you all, you know. I think it's really important to differentiate also between what is maybe, the, you know, a disagreement, a difference of opinion. Um, I worked with artists who wanted things in their music I could not provide, but they were th I was there and they changed their idea of what they wanted and they said, well, I, you, you got to do this. And I, I, I'm sorry, I, that's not, I don't do that. I can't do that for you. Uh, okay, I've got to get somebody else, you know, it's okay, you got to get somebody else. That's a different thing. That's just a professional reality that happens sometimes. The thing I get really concerned about with working with the young musicians as we're trying to train them is if you're in a situation that's unsafe, you have the right to shut that situation down. And if that, and if the only power you have in that situation is to leave you're out of there and don't even give it two thoughts because there are on occasion very unsafe situations people can put you in that's a really good point i'm glad you said that that's a big difference between having a artistic change of you know di disagreement not even like an argument you know just a difference of opinion um and being in an unsafe situation is very different. And that unsafe situation can even not be directed directly at you, but can be impacting you. So please, as you all go out into the world, keep in mind, like, you can get a step away from that. Don't stay. <laughs> that would, that's my advice. Okay. And I think what you're saying and what you know, in in your particular situation recently, what happened is you read it down and you trusted your instincts and you said, okay, I'm safe to stay here if I do this and I'm going to do this and this is what's going to get me through this. And it was really successful. And so I think instincts are important. And, and I think we all second guess ourselves, right? And um, there's a lot going on. It's musical and non-musical all the time. So that's what makes it really hard. 
work. So what are your thoughts, Katie, now that you've heard us all talk about how impossible the question is to answer, like now you're up. (laughs) I was thinking maybe I'll slip into the student role for this question. But um, I guess um, when I don't do something as well as I would have liked to or, you know, anything like that, I kind of treat it the the same way where I'm going into a private lesson studio and I'm my, you know, it's me, but it's the me I, you know, would like to sound like and the me I would like to be this, you know, badass, like super great guitarist. And I, and I go into the room with that person as the dejected person who's like, man, I suck. I go in and I talk to them and I'm like, you know, this is terrible. I did a terrible job. And then they're like, well, you didn't do a terrible job. The thing is you didn't prepare or, you know, maybe you got in your head too much. Here's what you can do. And, you know, just just being able to guide yourself and just give yourself a break and just mm. like your student, like you're your own student. That's how I try to look at it. Absolutely. That's great. That's actually great advice, especially after you have a bad experience, you know, where you're being thrown. If you can just go back and become a student of yourself again and just renew yourself there, I think that's good. Um do you think before we end, you could talk a little bit about, I think we've noticed something that there's a growing confidence in you. And um, I mean, of course, we're all students, right? We'll always be students, no matter our age. And um, But I think you've transitioned into sort of being our colleague in a different way um, through this whole experience, right? This whole four months, the entire thing from beginning to end. And do you feel that? Do you feel different? Do you feel more confident? Do you feel like it's tangible? I think so. But then I think I get in the room with my, my, the self I want to be. And you know, the funny thing is, like you said, you're a lifelong student. So, you know, when I was 10, maybe when I was sitting with my future self, it looked a lot like me now. But now that I'm about to be 21 and I'm sitting with my future self, it looks way, you know, way beyond, way awesome. Like, way awesome. Yeah. Um, but it, it just, I think it always changes. I think as you develop and you grow, you start to realize this isn't really about you. You know, I'm, I'm realizing you're just the vessel for the things you know. And um, it, it takes a lot of responsibility off your shoulder because you don't, you don't have to be this, I don't know, it, just realizing that the stuff has always been there, it will always be there. It is, it is not, you know, and you choose what you want to do with it. And then it's always just, it's really nice to get to sit with yourself as the teacher and as the student and go, look how far you've come, but look where you want to go, you know, and, and to admire yourself, but to also be like, here's what we need to work on. And I think it's very important to do both. Okay. So I think Katie like actually answered the question way better than all of us in the sense that I think when you come back to like what you're doing in this four months and in this situation, you served the music you served the situation and then you took care of yourself. And even in the moment you did that, and then it doesn't matter how challenging it is because if you're doing those three things, then you're managing it. And then, and you walk away saying like, all right, you know, um, when you came back to work, um, you were like, I think things went great. It was really weird though. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. don't think it was okay, but, but I, I think I did a really good job and that, why not build on that? That's life, right? That's how we, we grow and 
Um, and I can see that, like, I think you, you walk taller. I think you sound bigger. Um, David, I don't know if you've noticed. Of course, absolutely. Absolutely, but I wanna say also that, um, uh, uh, two things. One is that we all have our insecurities still, right? And those are with us too. So one of the devil's bargains with confidence is you go, well, can I really have this confidence? I still have these insecurities. Like, the, don't, doesn't one cancel the other? And the reality is, is no, they don't. You know, it's really good to know that you got to be a steward of yourself in entirety. The way I look at it is actually the music is not the main thing. The main thing is is learning how. What, what's that line from um, Keith Richards in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? You know. Right, he's he's the the, the 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 old pirate. He says to uh, Captain Jack, he says, "It's not living with yourself that's the problem, Jack. It's uh, uh, it's not living forever that's the problem. It's living with yourself forever. You know, we have to live with ourselves, right? So, you know, you have to accept also any of the challenges that you have, you know, internally, right? We're working with everything, in other words." It's not like, oh, I'm going to get my thing together and it's going to get better and I'm going to get better and I'm going to feel better. That's sort of the opposite side of the coin of I suck and, you know, it's never going to get better. And what I'd like is to get rid of both of those and just say, like, I'm going to play a guitar today because that's what I do. <laughs> it's a new day. This is my guitar. Um, I want to just say before we close that the interesting thing that happens in the guitar department that's fascinating, and I'm a big fan of this in my life, is practicing in groups, practicing with other people, practicing with practicing partners, you know, not just playing, actually sitting down with groups of people and collaborating on practice. I did this for decades, and I'm a big fan of that thing. Um, it's psychologically way easier to have a, a collection of people that you can bounce your your work ethic off of. Cheryl, what do you have on your mind as we're starting to wrap up our coffee? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think we really covered a lot of really deep stuff. I mean, not just about I mean, about mechanics, about facts, about psychology, about spirituality. It's all in this conversation. So I know folks are going to really love this. And I'll want to go back and listen to it a bunch. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't a part of it that's untouched. You know, if you really work on your playing, your data and your technique and your all your strategies for learning and you really think about who you are as a leader for yourself and give yourself a lot of compassion and give other people a lot of compassion. Maybe when they're making things challenging, give them a little grace and go back and take care of yourself and serve the music, serve the situation. And it really is the story of, of what we're all trying to do all the time. And what's been so cool, Katie, is like that you had this experience and you let us be a part of it. You let us in. And um, 
we're really thrilled to have you as a student and a colleague. And so it's really great to have you here. Um, and so with that, I want to give you um, so the final coffee word of the evening. So what do you got? <laughs> what do you want to say to the, uh, the folks? <laughs> I think the, when you, when you start playing, especially when you start playing an instrument, what really makes you want to keep playing is usually if you have a great teacher and as you get older, you usually don't, you know, study as intensely as when you're like, you know, younger, however young you were when you first started younger than you are now. And a lot of the things that keep you going are, you know, having a really kind and compassionate teacher. And what I really realized is, you know, there's no reason not to put that towards yourself and to talk to yourself like you are, like I keep saying, the student and the, and the teacher. And just really say, you know, you did a good job today, but, you know, you did a good job today. Or, you know, yeah, that was, that was, that was BS what happened. It sucks. Can, can we hit our scales right now or something? You know, it's just, you have to talk to yourself and be like, you have to hear yourself out and you also have to move on. And you have to be that person who can say, I'm ready to listen. You also have to be the person who says, okay, let's, let's keep going. Come on. You know, and that, I think that is useful everywhere, especially when you're, when you're a starting student here at Berkeley, it's really easy to dwell and just oh it's so bad <laughs> just to like sit in your in your you know your single your lo I had a loft bed my first semester so just sit in my loft bed after a really bad thing and just get in my blanket and just be like that was terrible you're terrible what's wrong with you and like you but now it's like what do you you don't gain anything from that you just lose your time and you don't want to waste your time thinking you're worse than you actually are you could put that time towards doing something you know way better that's great. Well, I want to thank you, Katie, for being uh, part of our lives here at Berkeley and getting to watch you um, start to become a colleague. You know, all my students are future colleagues, and I tell them that. If they want to be colleagues, they can be colleagues. So it's been really a delight. And thanks for this um, opportunity to interview you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. It's, it's such an honor. You guys are such awesome players and people and just it's really great. And I'm, I'm just very thankful. So yeah, thank you. guys. That's great. And thanks, Tim. And thanks, Cheryl, for running the greatest guitar department in the world and for being such master musicians to boot. Well, you all make it so you uh, we, we it's not great without all of us. So on that note, coffee cheers to you, Katie. Cheryl, coffee cheers. Water cheers. <laughs> and coffee cheers to you, David. Uh, um, we will be with all of you on the next Coffee Talk. And go practice. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everybody. Enjoy.